This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by Art Forecaster. You can win prizes for correctly forecasting hammer prices of art in upcoming auctions. Make sure to join our competition for the upcoming post-war and contemporary auctions in London. To participate, you can visit artforecaster.com. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Occasionally, we like to spend an episode looking at a different collecting category outside of the art world, and we're doing that today as we take a look at the sneaker market, which has had an incredible amount of growth over the last few years. It's gotten incredible attention in the press. We're also seeing some crossover in terms of collectors of sneakers are starting to collect art, and also major auction houses like Christie's and Sotheby's are beginning to dip their toes into the sneaker market. So we talk about all that and more with Christina Binkley, who's a freelance journalist who writes about the business of culture. Christina wrote a fantastic article in Art News about the growing sneaker market and how and why it's being targeted by major auction houses. So Christina's nice enough to join us. We chat about sneakerheads and the sneaker market. We hope you enjoy the episode. Christina, thanks so much for speaking with us. I'm so glad to be here. So traditional auction houses, as you discuss in the article, are attempting to penetrate the sneakers market. Um, at this mm-hmm. juncture, how big is this sneakers market? And you know, how are people up to this point buying and reselling sneakers on the secondary market? Well, I mean, it's, 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 I'm not an in- industry that's easy to measure at this point. When you say how big is it, um, and it does, it falls outside so many of the ways that we tend to measure either art or fashion. It lies somewhere in between. So um, it's it, you know we know that it's huge. We see drops of sneakers disappearing within seconds of appearing online. Um, a lot of them are are be are trading and being sold without ever sort of hitting a retail store or in any of any of the markers where we would track that. Um, but it, you know, there's a and there's a variety of different ways. I mean, this is one of the things that's really fascinating about this market is the way that consumers get hold of these things, which um, generally falls into if if you're going for the really limited edition pieces that that they the auction houses are interested in, you either know somebody um, or you buy them on the secondary market for very high prices or, or you subscribe to a bot. There are bots that track these things. Yeah. Well. I mean, it's interesting. It, it, there are some parallels definitely to the art world in terms of, um, you know, on the primary market artworks, a lot of these things are about relationships, who your relationship with galleries, there's only a limited supply of artworks, whether they're talking about yeah. originals or limited editions. So okay. it is pretty interesting. And, um, you know, if we take a step back, I think some of our listeners have heard of, you know, the sneaker market and they've, they've, they've seen maybe on the periphery, you know, this market that's, there's a lot of hype around it. What would you say are, for some of our listeners maybe that are even less familiar, what would you say are some of the major brands and even specific sneakers that are being traded at, you know, these high prices? It, like you said, it isn't just really walking into a store and buying a regular pair of shoes. Um, it's a different yeah. kind of shoe that isn't really being that isn't they aren't necessarily targeting the average customer buying a pair of shoes, right? 
Yeah, I think it's safe to say that if you can walk into a store and buy it, it's not one of those tradable shoes just by, by its nature. I mean, although sometimes that happens, and this is another parallel to the art market, but just to talk about some of the brands that, you know, the the major shoe, I mean, Nike um, is is the, the the king of this in terms of, the, of, of some of the lines that it puts out, Air Jordans. Um, they've brought in people who have, have redone sort of retro um, versions of these by by Virgil Abloh. Um, they did, you know, they, um, you know, and they have multiple models with it, Nike, and, and Adidas does them as well. And there are brands that are sort of emerging. Yeezy, which is from Kanye West, was, um, is really one of the brands, if not the brand, that kicked this off in a big way initially. And they're actually a really good example of looking at how um, I mean, this is pure economics, right? So when Yeezys first came out and nobody could get them, they were selling for thousands of dollars. And then Adidas would come up and they would do a big, a big, I, don't, I shouldn't call it an addition or a drop because they went into full on manufacture and poured thousands of them onto the market. And suddenly the price is whatever, $179, it's attainable and you can get it in a store. It's this very same model as the ones that were selling on the secondary market early on for thousands of dollars, right? So you've got um, a really weird, uh, it, it's, it's, it's every investor's, every art investor's nightmare, of course, to have something like that happen. Um, and it's the inherent risk what, that you have with sneakers because it, it, they're not really one of a kind pieces of art, right? They're manufactured items that come off the floor of a factory. And so why do you think traditional auction houses Christie's, Sotheby's, why are they determined to become involved in the sneaker market? They're, you know, interesting. And, you know, I, I found that, that Christie's and Sotheby's um, both have hired people who are specialists in this. Um, and it's interesting that, that those people are also, in some cases, at Sotheby's, they are working, um, the same specialist works with handbags as well. Uh, you know, sort of expensive handbags like Hermes is the, is the primary is the primary one. All this, there are other handbags that sell like that. And really, what this is is an for these auction houses. This is an an entryway for a completely new customer that hasn't been coming in the doors for art and antiquities and some of the things that they specialize in. So, in the case of sneakers, you find a lot of the people that are buying. It's may it's almost entirely male. It's be, women are coming into it, but I, we, you know, it's, it's, it's by far a majority of men who are doing it. There's a lot of crossover between collectors of sneakers and collectors of cars and collectors of watches. So you can see right there that that's a really lucrative potential market for if you're Christie's or Sotheby's. Um, and if they aren't people who have thought of themselves as art collectors and yet they're chasing they're chasing a form of something that they see as art. These auction houses think that they can sort of groom these people and maybe entice them to come in and become customers for other things as well. They're also, by the way, in addition to being um, wealthy um, and male and um, and sort of new to the to the art world, um, they're also uh, often much younger than these auction houses customers. So the, the people that the auction houses are hiring to work on these products are also largely from outside of the art world and much younger. Yeah, so that's interesting. I think that's you know been a challenge for the auction houses, and this seems like a good entry point to be able to get people uh, into the auction house, 
start working with them on these sneakers and maybe eventually as they get older, you can start to shift their focus to other products that the auction houses are selling, such as art or like you said, watches or in some cases, even cars. Yep. I think an interesting aspect of that that we're already seeing and it's something you touched on in your article is that certain artists are actually shifting their attention to the collector market as you know, you said it's a source of new inventory, which I think is an interesting way to think about it. Not just paintings, <laughs> not just uh, prints, but it seems there's crossover here with the people that are interested in sneakers and uh, certain artists. How how exactly are certain artists doing this and how much success are they having with it? I think it's a tremendous amount of success. Um, you know, I, I, artists don't tend to reveal their balance sheets to me. So, I, I, you know, I can, I'm, I'm assuming that it's very lucrative to them simply by the way we're seeing more and more artists do it. And it covers the gamut. I think the first time I really came across this and people got in the art world got very excited about it. It's probably 15 years ago, I'd say when, um, Murakami was, he, he did a, a sort of a, a crossover collaboration with Louis Vuitton and decorated some of their bags. Richard Prince did the same thing. Um, <clears throat> there was a, there was a, I, I remember an, an, an um, exhibit at the, um, museum of contemporary art in Los Angeles at the time where they literally had a Louis Vuitton handbag, uh, sort of boutique in the center of a Murakami exhibit. And you could go in and buy the Murakami embellished handbags. And then outside there were, you know, he's become famous for this. He's, he sort of creates all these cute little adorable toys. You can buy key rings and fobs that hang off your backpack and, you know, multiples of, of kind of characters that he also paints and sells for millions of dollars. Um, and now you see Alex Israel has a, I think a very strong business in sunglasses, um, which is not uh, the kind of merch that we've tended to see from from artists who are you know come out with a fine art background. Sterling Ruby now has a fashion collection um, that's sold online and in some a limited number of uh, retail stores. So we're seeing tremendous crossover between art and commerce in a way that that used to be considered um it's just sort of um sort of uh sort of slumming for artists to have sort of produced these things right yeah i think there was a risk previously of that you're devaluing your brand or you're you know you're a fine artist who's selling expensive art you know you shouldn't be dabbling in these kind of things but it seems like all of the artists you've identified, you know, they're doing it. We're seeing it more happen more and more frequently and it really hasn't become an issue for, for these artists. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I know, um, uh, Sterling Ruby, who he launched this fashion line of his last June in, in Florence. And, um, there was a great, you know, there were some very tight lipped people in the art world, including, I understand his, his, uh, gallerists at, at Gagosian who were really nervous about what, this was going to mean for his art and the value of his art and how that would be viewed. Um, I, I learned yesterday, I heard, heard from somebody, I haven't confirmed this, um, but I heard that he, that, that he had Sterling Ruby as a, as the artist had, the, had the best year ever in terms of sales of his art last year. So I don't think there's any harm coming to, to his career as a result of having gone into a fashion line. You know, I think one artist we haven't mentioned cause I think who's yeah. in the last few years, he's kind of, you know, done this better and more effectively than anyone else and really is, 
you know, he isn't even just an artist. I feel like he's an entrepreneur. He's just an incredible yes. businessman who has collaborated with so many different uh, different companies and created so many different products and made his art accessible um, as a result in so many ways. And it's been incredibly successful for him. Yeah, and his—I mean—he's—he's he's now iconic, right? Like you can see one of his characters, and you immediately, run, you know, your your mind goes not only to his art, but to all these other things that you've seen him doing. I think that he, well, Virgil Abloh too. I mean, I, you know, most people know Virgil Abloh as a fashion designer, I think, um, but he's got multiple art exhibits going on around the world these days, um, and I. I you know, I think we may soon need a new term. I don't know that we have the right term for these people that cross over between art and commerce and fashion and design. Um, they're creative people and they don't have walls built around them anymore. And so we, we talked a little bit about Christie's and Sotheby's trying to enter this space. To what extent thus far have the traditional auction houses participated in the sneaker market? I think it's really new. For instance, and Sotheby's went into handbags uh, before they went into uh, into uh, sneakers. Um, this is really a phenomenon that's come up. Uh, I'm going to go back in my a year, past year and a half. I'm forgetting when the first Christie's um, auction was, but I think it was about a year and a half ago, maybe even just a year. Um, they've been you know, tiptoeing around and collecting, it takes a long time for them to collect the, the, the goods that they send in auction. So it's, it's not that they didn't recognize this as something they wanted to do earlier, but now they've got both houses have full-time people that are focusing um, on building this and planning their next auction. I understand that there's what, another one going to come up pretty soon. I don't know if it's been announced yet, but it's going to happen soon. And then I'm wondering if during your research in this area, if you've spoken with any sneaker designers or manufacturers and got a sense of how they feel about, you know, when they have these releases, you mentioned bots before and, you know, these uh, sneakers sell out in, mo in seconds and, um, you know, and then we see this significant gap in many co cases in terms of pricing between the in the art world, you know, we know it as the primary market and the secondary market, right? So you see these prices at which the sneakers are released for, and then you see them on StockX or some other um, website selling for substantially more. Um, right. Do you know how, how the industry, how, how the sneaker industry generally is feeling about that? Yeah, it's a kind of, as you can imagine, it's sort of a love-hate relationship, and there are real, there are parallels between that and the the art market with secondaries, you know, there's you know there's always frustration for artists that that you know, be headlines saying that you know Jeff Koons Bunny sold for however many tens of millions of dollars. Well, Jeff Koons isn't getting that money because that was sold by another. And I, well, Jeff Koons is a bad example, of course, because he's doing really well. But um, in general secondary market sales do not benefit the creator. And in this case, the creator is often simultaneously a, a sneaker brand like Nike or Adidas, um, and um, often a designer like a Virgil Abloh or a Kanye West. And, um, and neither of those people benefit from, from the secondary market sales. But they're on tenderhooks, and I've talked to the sneaker brands about this. They don't, they don't want to kill that market because the marketing, the advertising um, that that comes of that is really beneficial to them. And it also gives them access to collaborators that further build the name and keep them current. 
So they're not complaining loudly about this, but they have to, you know, they are thinking about when they do reissues and how often they do it. I think there's been some real tension between Kanye West, you know, the designer of Yeezy and, um, and Adidas over them producing or overproducing numbers that then um, depress the price. Well, it's really an interesting area, an interesting market that um, I think here on the podcast, maybe we'll be following it more frequently as the auction houses um, embrace this industry more and more and having more sales. Uh, Christina, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and chatting with us about this emerging, exciting uh, sneaker market. And if our listeners want to follow you on social media or see any of your other writings, what's the best place that they can find you? Oh, I'm, I'm mostly a Twitter person at Binkley on style. Uh, I do have an Instagram, which is just Christina Binkley, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lame with my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, Christina, thanks so much again. We appreciate you joining us and sharing your insights. I hope to talk to you again. Thanks.